Have you ever wondered what would happen if The Secret Life of Pets was good and Game of Thrones? Have we got a book for you. On page returners this week, we're reading Warriors Into the Wild. This is a book series by Aaron Hunter. Um, <laughs> it is a book series by Aaron Hunter. Do you want to introduce ourselves? Uh, No. No? You don't want anybody to know who we are. It's a secret. Yeah. Uh, I'm Elliot. <laughs> and I'm Night Pelt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, like, the most awkward name to say is the first one that came to mind out of all the options. <laughs> yeah, can you, can you explain to me uh, why the clan leader chose the name Night Pelt for you? Um, because my hair is dark. Oh, okay. And I sleep a lot. <laughs> I think you mean fur. I think I mean... <laughs> I think I need to reintroduce myself. <laughs> no, we'll stick with Night Pelt. We'll stick with Night Pelt. All right. That's me. Shut up and sit down. This week on Page Returners, we're reading Warriors Into the Wild by Aaron Hunter. The Warrior series as a whole is about groups of cats that live in the woods who have formed their own societies outside of human interference for the most part and have developed their own mythologies and their own social systems. And the Warrior series, at least the first one, is about a cat named Firepaw who started as a house cat but becomes part of the Warrior clan called Thunder Clan. If you count the Warriors novellas, there are currently 58 books in the series. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we are only reading and talking about the first one today, I promise. For now. For now. Okay, what is Page Returners about? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Elliot. Page Returners is a podcast about revisiting books that meant a lot to us as kids and talking about what it's like to look back on these stories now. Before we get too deep into all of the many, many things that we want to cover about this book, we should give a brief synopsis about the major stuff that happens here. I can run you through the big plot beats, at least. Uh, so, Warriors Into the Wild starts out with a brief prologue, which is immediately full of violence as uh, two of the cat clans that live in the woods, ThunderClan and RiverClan, are engaged in battle, and during the fight, the ThunderClan deputy, Redtail, is killed. They return to camp to bring the bad news to their leader, Blue Star, who utters a cryptic prophecy that uh, fire alone can save their clan. Ooh, it is not Blue Star who utters that. Oh, is it? Nope. Who says it? It is Spotted Leaf who says that. Spotted Leaf. Yeah, Blue Star asks Spotted Leaf uh, if she's heard anything from Star Clan recently. Oh, oh yeah, oh, there right. there are. There's a clan of dead cats. Um, yeah, yeah. And Spotted Leaf says, "No, I haven't," and then immediately gives a prophecy. There's a shooting star. Yeah, it's been so long since I've read the prologue. I read the last like half of the book all in one go today. <laughs> <laughs> I only remember that because I made. I made a note about it where uh, I wrote down the, the quote from the book, like, has StarClan spoken to you, Blue Star asked? And Spotted Leaf replies, <laughs> not for some moons, not for some moons, Blue Star. And then immediately the star falls from the sky. <laughs> One new message from StarClan. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, Spotted Leaf gives uh, 
a message from Star Clan. And as you'll know, there are as you'll know. <laughs> as everyone knows. As you'll soon discover. <laughs> as you'll soon discover, there are more names in this book than there are stars in the sky, and I will try to keep them straight as I go through this. But uh yeah. So we cut from that mystical magical star prophecy after a murder to a house cat named Rusty who has dreams of hunting in the wild, but he wakes up and he lives in a home with humans and, you know, this fat, pampered life. Doesn't that suck, living in a home with humans? (laughs) Isn't that unfortunate? Man, being taken care of all the time. (laughs) But anyway, he, for some reason, is deeply dissatisfied with this and is constantly looking out towards the woods. So one day he ventures out into the woods and stumbles across an apprentice cat from ThunderClan named Greypaw who jumps on him. Uh, they have a bit of a fight and become kind of friends. Because of the fight that they have, the leader of ThunderClan, uh, who was like right behind Greypaw, is so impressed with Firepaw's fighting skills, even though he is a house cat. Oh, his name's not his name's not Firepaw yet. Oh, my bad. His name his name is Rusty now. So impressed with the Rusty's fire uh Rusty's Firepaw with Rusty's <laughs> <laughs> With Rusty's fighting skills that she immediately offers him entrance into the clan. Yes, our first indication that Rusty is a bit of a chosen one here. But not in not in too annoying of a way, actually. He he's pretty chill about it. Blue Star sees Rusty and Greypaw scrabbling in the dirt and offers Rusty an option. She says that uh, if he wants to come back the next day at noon into the woods, they can take him to meet ThunderClan and offer him a chance to join. So he uh takes them up on their offer because he's dissatisfied with his soft life at home and he heads off into the woods to join ThunderClan. So when he gets to ThunderClan, one of the first things that happens is that Blue Star chooses a new deputy because her deputy Redtail was killed in a battle with RiverClan. Uh, and we get our first taste of a long-running piece of drama in this book in that she chooses a cat named Lionheart, who is a very experienced warrior. Uh, and Tiger Claw, one of her other warriors, is extremely miffed about this choice because he was really hoping that it would be him. But she chooses Lionheart and then gives Rusty a new name as an apprentice of ThunderClan. His name is Firepaw. We're about 1% into the book this far, and we already have like seven names to memorize by now. Oh yeah, and I haven't even named some of the names that the book says, but we don't need to know right now. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, we've already had one character go from one name to another name in about three chapters. Yes. Don't worry, though, he'll only keep that name for about three quarters of the book, and then he gets to change it again. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, now our house cat, or kitty pet Rusty, is named Firepaw, and he spends some time training with the clan. He joins the other apprentices, including Ravenpaw, who is a very nervous, uh, dark-colored cat. Ravenpaw is Tigerclaw's apprentice. Yes, Tigerclaw's apprentice. Uh, and uh, Grey Paw is Lionheart's apprentice, and then we have two snotty cats named Dusty Paw and Sandy Paw, I think. Uh, but pretty much all they do is sneer at Firepaw, so we don't <laughs> learn a lot about them. <laughs> but uh, he lives with those that group of five apprentices, and they train to become warriors. And uh, kind of during that time, as he's learning about how the society of the camp works and the sort of lore of their uh, culture he starts to notice that Tigerclaw is acting a little bit suspicious and Ravenpaw is kind of nervous, which becomes important later on 
but uh, it takes Firepaw a long time to catch on to why. Uh, but after a couple of months of training, there's a, an important twist to the tale when Firepaw stumbles upon a Shadow Clan outcast cat. Uh, I guess this would be a good point to name the other clans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are four. Uh, River Clan was the one that they fought with at the beginning. But there's also uh, Wind Clan, who is never seen in this book for reasons that become apparent later on, and Shadow Clan, which is kind of like the obvious villain clan, which is subverted kind of nicely later on. But as far as you know, at this point in the story, they're just kind of bad. Yeah, Wind Clan lives on the nearby plains. Thunder Clan lives in the middle of the woods. Um, Shadow Clan lives in kind of a swampy area. And River Clan lives right off the bank of a nearby river. Yes. Firepaw finds a Shadow Clan cat named Yellowfang in the woods, and she tells him that she used to be a Shadow Clan's medicine cat, but that she is now living on her own as a loner because she has fled from Shadow Clan. So he chooses to have mercy on her and bring her home to his clan. Most people don't trust her because she's one of those cats, but uh, Blue Star, being uh, fairly wise and considerate decides that it's a good idea not to murder this cat and lets her stay we should mention that uh these cat names get less confusing once you realize that there's a naming system to them um yes the clan leader always has the suffix star at the end mm -hmm. of their name the regular warriors are the ones with the names that are hardest to remember because they can be basically anything yeah the most variety like a adjective or noun and then another noun or adjective um after that there's the apprentices whose names always end in paw and then there are kits as well whose names always end in kit oh okay i don't think that comes up in this book no that's it that's in like later books yeah i was gonna say they don't have any named kits there's a lot of kits but they don't name any of them right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's sort of like the the warrior cat naming convention is that there's always like one word that's kind of descriptive usually about kind of the color or like uh style of their look and then there's another uh, word in the warrior names that has something more to do with like their body parts, the tail, fang, pelts, that sort of thing. So yeah, he brings home Yellowfang to the clan and Blue Star announces that she can be allowed to stay, but she needs to, you know, behave herself. And she assigns Firepaw the duty of taking care of Yellowfang as she heals from her wounds that she got fighting him in the woods. Uh, as punishment for uh, breaking the warrior code by eating food while he was out hunting before bringing it back for the pack. Over the time taking care of her, Firepaw and Yellowfang sort of get a, a mutual respect and friendship for each other, but all the other cats remain very, very suspicious of Yellowfang. After Firepaw and Yellowfang have kind of gotten to know each other a little bit, um, Blue Star decides that she is going to take Firepaw on as an apprentice. And because he didn't have uh, a warrior master beforehand, and she decides to train him in the the warrior ways of fighting and killing, mostly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this, this book is so violent. <laughs> and eventually invites Firepaw and Ravenpaw over to the clan meetings where all four of the clans meet together on a monthly basis. This is like the one time when the clans have peace with each other. 
and they go to the clan meeting and immediately find out that the reason why Wind Clan has been missing from the rest of the book is because Shadow Clan drove them out because they wouldn't give them hunting rights in their territory. Apparently, Shadow Clan has been running out of food and brags about having more cats and more healthy kits than all of the other clans, right before saying, so you better give us your territory, basically. Um, mm-hmm. When Wind Clan didn't, Shadow Clan used their numbers to drive them out, and they are missing. And the, kind of the, the plot of the second book is about what happened to Wind Clan. The, the important thing that happens there is that um, Broken Star casts aspersions on Yellowfang to everybody. Right. Broken Star, who's the leader of Shadow Clan, basically ta- tells all the other clan cats to watch out for a Shadow Clan outcast because uh, she is dangerous around kits, apparently, according to Broken Star at any rate. Hearing this, Firepaw kind of races home to warn Yellowfang that she's in danger. So when Firepaw gets back to warn Yellowfang that Broken Star has sort of whipped the other cats into a fervor saying that she's not to be trusted, uh, he tries to warn her that uh, they're coming back and they're going to be upset. But uh, she decides that she wants to stay and stand her ground and and, uh, defend her innocence. So when the cats get back, they're all in a big fuss about the fact that Broken Star was making threats on their territory and asking for hunting rights and that Yellowfang can't be trusted. But Blue Star kind of quells their uh, fervor against Yellowfang and says, you know, of course, you know, the kids are safe. Yellowfang didn't hurt them while we were gone. We can't, you know, we can't distrust this cat that's been living with us just because another cat said that she's dangerous. So for the time being, there's that tension there, but Blue Star doesn't let anyone lay a, lay a paw on Yellowfang. And pretty much immediately after that, she decides that they need to start making a plan to deal with the threat from Shadow Clan because they don't want to give in to their demands, uh, which would make them the last clan standing against them, as River Clan uh, offered to let Shadow Clan hunt in their territory instead of uh, taking a stand against them. So Blue Star says that in a time of crisis like this, she wants to get advice from Star Clan, which is uh, made up of the spirits of warrior cats that have passed. And the way to communicate with them is through this mystical, magical stone called the Moonstone that lays far outside of the normal clan territories. So she assembles a group of Tiger Claw, Grey Paw, Raven Paw, and Fire Paw to join her on her trip to the Moonstone to get advice from Star Clan. So they travel out a long way to where the moonstone is, deep inside of a mountain. Is it a mountain or a hill? <laughs> it's it's an actual mountain. Well, it technically it's it's a mine inside of a mountain. Okay, it's a, yeah, yeah. a disused mine. Yeah, sometimes the scale of things gets a little thrown off for me because since they're cats, everything is bigger to them. But yeah, it's a legit mountain. So yeah, they make their way to this mountain. Uh, and go deep inside of this cave to seek the advice of the Moonstone. And Blue Star only brings Tiger Claw and Firepaw into the mountain to uh, see the Moonstone with her. But Tiger Claw sees the Moonstone and gets very nervous and uncomfortable and uh, goes back out to be with the apprentices. So eventually it's just Blue Star and Firepaw when the Moonstone lights up with the light of the moon and uh, Blue Star communes with the spirit cats. And what she sees is a vision of great danger, and she immediately insists that they all need to go back home immediately to ThunderClan. Uh, And along the way, 
they get in a bit of a struggle with some rats. And uh, this part was kind of weird. <laughs> because, like, I have rats and, like, I don't think of them as threatening. So reading about, like, these, like, swarm of rats trying to kill these cats was kind of funny to me. <laughs> I mean, you've played, uh, like, Dishonored, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, I've seen, like, wild, feral rats. I know that they can be scary, but, like, all I could picture was my two pet rats were <laughs> complete fat dweebs. <laughs> and I could not imagine them trying to attack a cat. Well, I mean, you have anyway. cats, too, though, right? Or a cat singular. Yeah, and our, our, yeah, our cat is actually afraid of them. They're too big for her. <laughs> if, if, uh, if she sees them, she runs away. So who knows? Maybe there's something to that. So, yeah, uh, they rush home after Blue Star has her vision of danger, uh, to find that Shadow Clan is ambushing their camp while they were away. They repel Shadow Clan, but they take losses in that uh, Deputy Lionheart is killed in the struggle. But they are able to push the Shadow Clan cats away, and Blue Star names Tiger Claw as deputy, which makes Ravenpaw very uncomfortable, which catches Firepaw's eye. But Tiger Claw immediately is, you know, thrilled to finally be deputy like he's always wanted. Uh, and kind of institutes uh, martial law among ThunderClan. He uh, asks two of his warriors to always be guarding Blue Star, uh, supposedly so that she'll be safe, but really so that uh, he can make sure he knows who's talking to her when. Uh, and he has them patrolling the camp, telling people they can't leave the camp, uh, supposedly because of the danger of Shadow Clan ambush, but really because uh, he has some ulterior motives going on. And Firepaw finally starts to catch on to the fact that there's something shady about the way Tiger Claw has been acting. So he talks to Ravenpaw and gets him to admit that he saw Tiger Claw uh, attack and kill Redtail during the battle against River Clan. So even though Tiger Claw had been telling everyone that the deputy died at the hands of one of the Red Tail, uh, Red Tail, <laughs> <laughs> that, that the deputy died at one of the hands of one of the River Clan warriors, what really happened is that Tiger Claw killed Red Tail in the struggle, and the only one who saw was Ravenpaw. So of course, Firepaw now realizes that Tiger Claw has been sort of uh, murdering and lying his way to the top to become deputy, and realizes that the clan is in a bit of trouble now that he's in a position of power. So he makes up his mind to do something about it, but he has a hard time getting alone with Blue Star to speak to her. And in the meantime, uh, one of the warriors from Shadow Clan sneaks into the camp and steals some kits and kills the medicine cat, Spotted Leaf. Uh, and when the ruckus is raised that somebody kidnapped some of the kits uh, and that one of the cats in the camp is dead, Yellowfang kind of fears for her life, knowing that uh, the other cats don't trust her and that there were rumors going around that she's dangerous around kids. So she flees the camp before anyone can become suspicious of her, which, of course, makes <laughs> everyone very suspicious of her. <laughs> so now they're in this kind of uh, tense political situation where uh, Tiger Claw wants to send out uh, a group to find and kill Yellowfang and. Uh, He's telling his warriors that he thinks that uh, Ravenpaw, his apprentice, is a traitor who uh, told uh, Shadow Clan that the warriors would be away at the Moonstone, so it would be a good time to ambush. Uh, and Fireplaw, Firepaw realizes that if he doesn't do something, Tigerclaw is going to have you know two of his best friends killed uh, to silence what they know. So he uh, finally manages to talk to Blue Star, and she advises him to. Uh, go and find Yellowfang himself uh, and bring her home safely so that they can protect her. 
So uh, he and Greypaw and Ravenpaw sneak out of the camp and send Ravenpaw off to live on his own with a loner cat that they met on their way to the Moonstone. And they tell him, you know, you can be safe with him, but you won't be safe here because Tiger Claw knows what you know. That's Barley, right? Yes, Barley. Okay. Barley's cool. <laughs> Uh, so they send Ravenpaw away to safety, and Greypaw and Firepaw go out to find Yellowfang before the Thunderclan warriors can find her. Uh, there's a bit of tense tracking, but they finally manage to figure out where Yellowfang went, uh, and tell her that they believe her, that she did not steal the kits, and she tells them that she knows who did. She tells them that it was one of the Shadow Clan cats, and that the kits will definitely be at their camp. So Firepaw meets up with the Thunder Clan party that was looking for Yellowfang, and sort of takes a stand and tells them Yellowfang is innocent, and she knows where the kits are. We have to trust her if we want to get them back. Uh, and they listen to him. They offer to let Yellowfang lead them to the Shadow Clan camp, and she goes and gets a few other cats that she knows are unsatisfied with uh, Broken Star's corrupt leadership. And uh, together they sort of break into the Shadow Clan camp in ambush. They attack Broken Star, and when the cats that are unhappy with Broken Star's leadership notice that he is being soundly defeated by these intruders from Thunder Clan, they circle around and join the Thunderclan warriors and drive him out of their camp. After they do that, uh, Yellowfang decides that she wants to go back to be with Thunderclan to be their medicine cat. And so Firepaw and Greypaw uh, take her back and tell everybody how she helped them to drive out Broken Star and that they will be safe from Shadowclan while Shadowclan rebuilds. And Blue Star welcomes them home and gives Firepaw a new warrior name because he has proven himself in battle. So his name becomes Fireheart. And she tells him uh, that he did well to find out the truth and to protect innocent Yellowfang and to drive out Broken Star. So things seem to be going pretty well for our boy, except for that the book sort of ends on a sequel hook note with Tiger Claw making a not-so-subtle threat that he knows how much Fireheart knows and isn't happy about it. And Fireheart sort of makes up his mind that for the good of his clan, he's going to have to stand up to Tiger Claw in book two. Oh man, a lot happens in this book in only like 300 pages. Yeah, my copy is only 259, something like that. <laughs> Small print. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's dense, dude. Uh, yeah, there's. it feels like um, compared to the compared to at least the first Artemis Fowl book, because the second one is just kind of nonsense, as we unfortunately <laughs> found out when we tried to record our second episode on that. Uh, yep. <laughs> there is almost no, like, dead space in this book. Every moment that something could be happening, there is something happening. Yes, and most of the stuff that I skipped wasn't because, like it wasn't good to know it was just because it wasn't key to like the major plot points like all the stuff in between there's a lot of really neat lore stuff about how the society and politics of the cats works and like there's foreshadowing for things in future books it's it's dense yeah this is such a great example of how to do a first book in like a fantasy series because mm -hmm. there's a lot of plot movement but then it also takes breaks to build the world and it kind of just boomerangs back and forth between doing those things for about half the book yeah and it's kind of cool how the author does a good job of including both of those elements when she can so like uh 
she you know whenever she has something she wants to tell you about the way the world works she tries to also work it into a scene that moves forward the plot so that you're not standing still too much listening to exposition i have a feeling uh, so uh the the name of the author of this book is kate carey not aaron mm. hunter which is not something that you would know um, if you didn't know that Aaron Hunter is actually like six or more different people, the original idea for the Warrior series was pitched to a woman named uh, Victoria Holmes, um, who became the editor for the series instead of a writer. But she kind of okay. designs the plot for the books and then um, has other people write them. Wow. How do you think that this book compares to other, like, anthropomorphic animal series? Mm, yeah, you were saying uh, before we started the recording that a lot of people tend to compare this to Redwall, which I thought was interesting because you were a Warriors kid and I was a Redwall kid. I never read the, <laughs> yeah. I never read the Warriors books until now, which uh, is kind of wild to me because I would have loved them, but somehow I never got into them, but... Yeah, you were saying a lot of people like to compare uh, Redball to Warriors unfavorably to Warriors, which I don't think is fair because a lot of the other anthropomorphic animal stories, especially Redwall, are very much like uh, high fantasy sort of set in their own fictional world. And it's just sort of like any other fantasy story, but with animals instead of people as the main characters, whereas Warriors is very much... Uh, this high concept uh, very thoroughly explored of, okay, what if there was a fantasy story set in the normal world, but where, uh, you know, cats had a secret society of wild cats? Like, I don't know. I think, I think that's very different because a lot of the fantasy elements of this come directly from the authors sort of trying to imagine what sort of society and myth uh, mythology and stuff like that would naturally grow from a group of cats that was actually sapient and had like community and society in that way. That was one thing that I thought was kind of interesting and good was that there didn't seem to be a whole lot of like ham-fisted direct allegory from like the cat's internal like politics to like uh, human political uh environment <laughs> yeah it was so refreshing not to read an extremely problematic kids book this time yeah like i didn't want to hammer too hard on uh artemis fowl but like that was another thing we ran into trying to record about book two was like all this stuff with the cops and like the the prison industrial complex and like man it was refreshing to see somebody sit down to write something and instead of just lazily pasting their fantasy uh, species over the real world they imagined from the ground up uh what sort of a world these fantasy creatures might make for themselves instead of like having it just be humanity 2.0 part of what i like about this series especially when compared to the artemis fowl series is that the lady cats in this book are like not treated poorly yes there is no sexism <laughs> unless you want to like really stretch some things there's not a whole lot problematic about this book which is cool well and on that note like about the the gender politics of the warrior cats uh it was kind of cool to me you could really tell that this series was largely conceived of and written by women because yeah. like not only were the female cats 
treated equally as the male cats in their society, but there was no like back padding, uh, like lantern hanging on that. Like, you know, in Artemis Fowler, it's like, oh, she's the first uh, woman cop. <laughs> yeah, and she's it's really a warrior, great. even though she's a woman. It's really great that we finally have a woman cop. Like, <laughs> in this, like, there's no attention drawn to it. It's just a casual fact of the world that, like, the the female cats are called queens, which I think is great. And the male <laughs> cats are called toms. And, like, uh, there's no, like, oh, only toms can be warriors and the queens are for having kits. It's literally just a fact of the world that uh, queens are warriors until they decide they want to have kits, at which point they take care of the kits until the kits grow up. And then they, I think then they, they become be warriors, warriors again. again. <laughs> yeah. Like, you take a break from being a warrior to be a mom <laughs> and, like, help tend to the nursery. And then when you're ready to be a warrior again, you just start being a warrior again. Like, it, it's just great i love it <laughs> and i mean obviously even like there's no sense that the upper ranks are in any way inaccessible to women because the leader of the clan that's in the main story is blue star who is shown to be one of the like wisest and best warriors in the clan and even a position like medicine cat which in mm -hmm. another series you might expect to only be reserved for women as it's like more of a peaceful role to like the medicine cats of the other clans are male yeah when yellow fang gets driven out of shadow clan they uh appoint running nose <laughs> yeah who, who is a tom <laughs> to be their uh, medicine cat and everybody makes fun of him because he can't cure his own cold i felt bad for him how did running nose get the name running nose because that's what's wild to me yeah would was he like running kit when he was born and then running paw and then running nose as a warrior? No, see, the thing that I was thinking was at some point in his pubescence, this poor dude got a head cold that literally never went away <laughs> to the point where they changed his whole name when he became a warrior. Oh, they were like, oh yeah, your name used to be Bramble Paw, but your nose is so funny that we're just going to name you after your running nose. Like, that sucks. I just realized the humor in how Running Nose is the one complaining about how there used to be a cure for, like, the common cat cold uh, at the clan <laughs> meeting. He's complaining to other medicine cats uh, that yeah. the herb that he used to, to cure colds um, went away because, like, the humans tore all of it down. Hey man, I'd complain too if the humans tore down all of the medicine that made it so people didn't call me runny nose all the time. <laughs> Which, that's another interesting thing uh, to kind of segue into, is that this has a very similar tie to the fantasy of Artemis Fowl and a lot of fantasies that take place in a world where humans exist but aren't the main, like, species. Yeah. Is that, like, authors tend to be pretty rough on humanity but not to an unfair extent like i'm not saying that it doesn't suck that people do what they do to the earth but like it almost seems like you can't write a young adult fantasy where humans are one of many fantasy species without having all the other species kind of hate on humans that's true the these books um uh, they definitely become more and more underlined with environmentalist messages um mm -hmm. that's not super present in this book um, but, like, the inciting incident for the second Warrior series is, like, the forest burning down. Oh, wow. It's kind of interesting, because, like, it's not super present in the first book, but it's definitely there. Like, they uh, they talk about how the humans' machines all smell really bad, and there's the, what's the, they call the place Treefall, where the humans have been chopping down parts of the forest? I think it's just called, like, the Tree Cut Place. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Tree Cut Place, not Tree Fall, but yeah, the Tree Cut Place. And they talk about, like, the kind of hint at the fact that there's a, a lumber operation going on over there. 
and you know they they call the road thunder path mm-hmm. and and uh imagine that all the cars are monsters which i i love all the names that they have for things when i first started reading it i thought it might get a little bit much but like i found it really endearing they call humans two legs they call the the uh road that people drive their cars on thunder path they call the moon silver pelt which is kind of cute like it's got a cat name of its own oh that's that's not the name of the moon that is the name of uh one of the constellations actually yeah i forgot about that because i read the first chapter like several days ago and then blazed through the last half of the book oh and can we talk for a second about the best and worst name that they have for something they call the veterinarian the cutter the cutter <laughs> and there's a huge plot point where one of the main reasons that rusty doesn't want to go back and be a house cat is because he doesn't want to be castrated yep yeah he goes back and sees that his childhood best friend has been to the cutter and decides that he's glad that he became a warrior, actually. Which is just wild to me that in this young adult book, there's this whole little miniature subplot where they're like, oh, you don't want to live with the humans. They'll cut your genitals up. Like, whoa. <laughs> that, that's another thing I thought was kind of interesting about the book uh, is that sort of like disdain that all of the wildcats have for the, the house cat life. And the, the fear of the clan cats that's in just the regular house cats, too. It kind of runs both ways. Like, they heard stories of those feral cats in the woods, and you gotta watch out, because you'll get attacked if you go in there. But then, like, yeah, all, all the warriors talk about how kitty pets are, you know, not living good lives. Uh, they're all fat and pampered. Eating food that resembles rat droppings. But the, the real life is out in the woods in the wild. Which I, I think is interesting, because, like, as I was reading it, I was like, I don't know, I don't think that I would want to go out and eat like kill and eat mice and live in the dirt if i lived in a house and had food and water like uh i don't know if that would i don't know if that would be an effective call to adventure for me as it was for rusty like i'd be like his friend smudge i'd be like his friend smudge who's like well yeah sure but this is fine (laughs) (laughs) i mean also you don't eat mice on a regular basis too so (laughs) you don't oh do we need to talk I, I... <laughs> we need to talk no, about your no, mice eating I don't habits. Eat, I don't eat. I don't eat mice. I don't know what you're talking about. Night pelt doesn't eat mice. <laughs> that is the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where I reveal that I've actually been a cat with a microphone and a laptop this whole time. Night pelt doesn't eat mice. <laughs> I don't know why I referred to myself in the third person there. Maybe that's my gimmick. <laughs> it's your given name. You you chose the name Timothy later on. Uh yeah, yeah. Timothy is my in an ironic twist, Timothy is my warrior name. <laughs> Night Pelt uh, Newton. <laughs> it's a very oh, superhero no. name. <laughs> Night Pelt Newton? Yeah. It's a that sounds like a hard boiled sounds like a hard boiled detective to me. <laughs> They call me Night Pelt Newton. I'm going to clean up these streets before they clean up me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, uh, what were we talking about about the book before that? Being castrated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about how every cat in the book is pretty much okay with child soldiers. Yes. 
Okay, yes. Kind of the the general feeling about kids fighting is that if they're old enough to catch their own prey, they're old enough to fight and die. Yes, and one of the big uh, reveals of uh, Shadow Clan going too Ooh, yeah. far was that they were they were starting to train their kids to be warriors at a much younger age. They had like uh, three and four month old kits when no sensible cat would train a uh, kit younger than six months. Yep. But it's interesting that they have, they draw that line where they're like, oh no, that's too young. But like, you are training your babies to fight still though. <laughs> Uh, and it's it's interesting that like fighting is such a big part of their society. Like they they do have their peaceful meeting every month, but they're very very strict about uh, at any other time somebody from another clan coming into the territory, you can just jump them. Like and, and there's very much that idea that like uh, violence is kind of built into their culture, which was kind of odd. Yeah, at the beginning of the book, when Firepaw brings up. You know, why don't you guys all just get along? He's basically called a heretic. Yes, the warrior code, which we didn't bring up very much, just briefly. But there's like a whole list of rules that they've got to follow. One of them is, uh, probably the biggest one, is that, like, you have to be willing to defend your clan with your life. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that causes Firepaw to kind of, like, reevaluate himself. Is, like, whether or not he's willing to to like give his life for this group of cats that he basically only just met. It's interesting too, because after that first time where he asks them, why don't they all just get along? He kind of backs off of that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that pacifist thought train a little bit, but not entirely. There's still little bits and pieces. Like when he spares Yellowfang and brings her to camp and everybody's like, why didn't you just kill this enemy cat? And he said, well, because she was, you know, all scraggly and weak and, and beat up and I wanted to take her and get her taken care of. Yeah, the implication is kind of that any other cat from ThunderClan, even though, you know, ThunderClan's supposed to be the good clan, that any other cat from that clan would have just killed her outright. It's interesting that, like, it takes this outsider cat who grew up uh, with the humans and joined the society to be the one to raise his hand, or I guess his paw, <laughs> and, and say, like, hey, why is killing each other such a big crucial part of the societal balance here <laughs> it's unfortunate that as far as i remember the rest of the series doesn't really struggle with those questions as much where it, it's almost like fireheart has kind of become indoctrinated oh that's a shame because like in this book it very much is like a central theme where anytime uh all the times that firepaw chooses to show mercy or to uh believe in the innocence of another cat like is very much like turns out to be the right thing to do even though it's the hard thing to do and like the the more scheming ambitious violent cats are the evil ones even inside his own clan yeah the viewpoint kind of just becomes um if you have to fight then you have to fight and it, oh, wow. that's about as complex as it gets huh because i mean i i had in my notes in chapter 18 which is right after Shadow Clan attacks and they drive them off, and uh, Firepaw is talking to Yellowfang about what it used to be like there. Uh, I thought it was really cool that uh, Shadow Clan wasn't just like the Slytherin of this uh, fantasy series, uh, where they're all bad, but she talks about how, like, oh, you know, our clan wasn't always this violent and rowdy, but this current leader has sort of thrown us into chaos. Oh, yeah, this is also the book that, um, that is the most gentle on Shadow Clan. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it starts out by saying, you know, not all Shadow Clan, and then as the series goes on, it's more like, <laughs> yes, all Shadow Clan. Yes, all Shadow Clan. <laughs> That's a shame, because, like, they set up a really good introduction of, like, uh, Yellowfang telling Firepaw that 
that her home clan, she doesn't feel safe and at home there anymore because they've become so volatile and, and, uh, violent. And she says that, you know, they used to have leaders that they could trust, but then this ambitious, violent cat rose up the ranks and threw things into disorder, which is, you know, very much a a foreshadowing and a warning to Firepaw about what's going on in his own clan. To the credit of the authors, it's not just Shadow Clan that's treated like that. Um, Mm -hmm. River Clan is increasingly treated as uh, super crafty and sneaky. And oh, like like they're always trying to do something behind the scenes, uh, while yeah. Shadow Clan is just like outright evil most of the time. It's the Fire Nation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like how like any fantasy story kind of falls into that very natural setting of like four, four different clans. elemental groups, huh? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Thunder, River, Shadow, and Wind—the four elements <laughs> of a real messed up world. <laughs> And those aren't even all of the clans. There is also Lion Clan, Leopard Clan, Tiger Clan, and Star Clan. Oh, yeah. I forgot that they talk about the big cats. Yeah. All of the the cats seem to somehow know that they are descended from cats that do not exist naturally on their continent. That was the thing that was interesting to me. Is that this is pretty clearly set, it's not explicitly set in America, but it's pretty clearly set somewhere similar. Like America, maybe maybe the British Isles, but I I assumed America. But definitely not anywhere that lions, tigers, or leopards live. It's sort of like they're mythical mythical figures to these cats. Like, oh, those are our great distant ancestors. They used to be huge. They used to be fierce. They have legends about the big cats, even though they've never seen them. And they have like, when you first start hearing them tell stories about Star Clan, you kind of assume that that's like a mythological thing too. But then as the book goes on, and I assume as the series goes on, it becomes more and more clear that there for real is ghosts and magic here. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of awesome. The role that Star Clan plays in this, these books becomes super important by the end, um, at, at mm-hmm. least by the end of the first series, because they kind of provide wisdom and prophecies to the the leaders of thunder clan uh, and that's another good segue into a thing that i have in my notes a couple of times uh because when you talk about the prophecy i didn't mention in the uh, overview but there's one point uh right before spotted leaf gets murdered where she i believe it's her might be blue star but one of them mentions to Firepaw the prophecy that fire will save their clan and he's like what could that mean? I thought fire was scary. I thought fire was scary and bad. And my only note on chapter 19 is your name is Fire Paul yeah. Moron. <laughs> yeah, that that's Blue Star that talks to him about that. It is very obviously hinted that Fire Paw and Fireheart are like destined to to be the chosen ones of this clan that's one point in the book that i don't think is a weak point but that makes it very clear that it's young adult fiction that it's aimed at you know preteens. because there's a lot of foreshadowing in the book and some of it is effective but a lot of it is very obvious from very early on like you catch on to the fact that tiger claw is a bit of a bastard like immediately yes <laughs> and uh the one the good thing is though that sometimes when stuff like that happens and you get the really clear for foreshadowing foreshadowing uh, foreshadowing yeah <laughs> foreshadow clan <laughs> when you get a lot of foreshadow clan oh, yeah. that's gonna that's gonna go some places i don't want it to go i'm gonna drop that <laughs> uh, 
when you get some like more obvious and heavy-handed foreshadowing like that in a series it can get to the point where like the characters haven't figured something out that you have and like you're getting really annoyed with them for being stupid uh and that didn't really happen very much in this book because a lot of times uh it was clear that the information that you were privy to was a little bit more than what firepaw had to work with so like it was a little bit easier to be patient with him like not picking up on this stuff and then like right as you're getting to the point where you're starting to wonder if he's ever going to get it he does and like it, it creates a good sense of tension without being too uh without being too frustrating to to read a viewpoint character who doesn't know what you know yeah the only real book long piece of dramatic irony here is that firepaw is the chosen one and the thing that makes that bearable is that that it doesn't even come to fruition in this book you have to wait until like the first series is over to see how that plays out yeah and i did appreciate that that they didn't rush to uh him saving their clan right away it was very much like setting up for it but didn't uh didn't feel the need to get too quickly into him being the superhero. One of the things that I really appreciate about this book is that even though it is very much a chosen one story, Firepaw does not start out being like the best at everything. Um, uh, yes. He and all of the other cats have to like train at stuff to get better, and they often like suck and they often make mistakes. <laughs> yes, they do. And a lot of the things, a lot of the times where something happens to Firepaw that's very special, uh, it's because Blue Star uh, selected him for the very special thing. And obviously she knows what the prophecy is. So like, it's not that he's the chosen one and he keeps stumbling into all this special stuff. It's more that he's the chosen one. By so Blue the Star. magic... <laughs> Yeah, so the magic leader who helped to kind of choose him is putting him in all these special situations because she knows that he's important. Like that comes across a lot better, you know. Instead of him instead of him like magically earning his way into the meeting before anyone else, like he has to wait a few months and like the other cats taunt him because he doesn't get to go to the meeting and then when he finally does, it's just because Blue Star wants him to be there. Like yeah, I like that he's not an obnoxious chosen one. Yeah, he gets chosen to go to that meeting because uh he he Graypaw and Ravenpaw get chosen to go to that meeting uh because blue star is impressed with the report that tiger claw gives about them saying that um oh, oh yeah tiger claw tests them on their ability to catch prey basically and is yeah. impressed with them and tells blue star and so blue star's like yeah come to the meeting with me well, and that's the other thing that's cool, too, about uh, the fact that it is a chosen one story, but he has a lot of friends. Like, there are a lot of very consequential side characters. Graypaw is important. Yellowfang is important. Spotted Leaf is important. And dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there, there are a lot of, like, secondary characters with depth to them that actually, like... Uh, interact with him and help him and are a big part of his life a lot. It's not him going out and, like, doing everything on his own. And... Unlike um, the Harry Potter series specifically, it feels like <laughs> the main character of this book uh, actually earns the right to be the main character. Yeah, you're right. Uh, where, uh, unlike Harry Potter, Firepaw actually <laughs> has agency. Um, Firepaw yeah. chooses stuff instead of just constantly having stuff be chosen for him. Yeah, gosh, I wish I could remember where I saw this post, but somebody, uh, I think on Twitter, said something on the lines of like, yeah, Harry Potter is just the story of this extremely rich kid who gets selected bef at birth to be a super wizard and grows up to be a cop. Like, <laughs> he 
he's not that compelling <laughs> of a character. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a boring character, but that's enough yeah. about HP. <laughs> <laughs> that's what there's, i call there's him. your there's your episode quota of harry potter grump <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's gonna be one per episode <laughs> harry potter is fine that's just fine it's okay <laughs> the later books are okay true um, but who yeah. was your favorite character in this book Ooh, good question um wow they're actually i didn't expect that to be that hard of a question i liked a lot of the characters a lot I think I would have to go with Yellowfang. Same. Yes. I thought Yellowfang was really awesome because, like, it, she was kind of at the crux of all of my favorite themes of the book about, like, mercy being something that pays off even in this hyper-violent and not trusting culture mm -hmm. uh, and uh, her having stories because she's very old of when her clan used to be. I think that's probably why this resonated with me so much in our current political climate is she's telling this kid this story of how uh, her clan used to be a more stable place <laughs> until someone <Yeah. laughs> until someone with ulterior motives and you know chaotic means rose to power through despotism and kind of threw everything into into chaos and she didn't feel at home there anymore. Like, I thought that was pretty deep stuff for a kid's book. Yeah, Broken Star, the Uber capitalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The reason why I call him that is because of the speech that he gives at Four Trees, which is where the Clintons yes. all meet, where he basically says, um, we are doing too well, so you must give us everything. Do you want to read some of that? Uh, I do, but I'll need to find it first. While you're looking for that, like, I do think that was kind of interesting that, like, the, the cat society is very communal. Uh, one of the warrior codes that I mentioned, uh, briefly earlier is that if you are out hunting for the day, if that's your duty for the day, you don't eat any of the food that you catch until you've brought it home to share. You can't eat while you're out on the hunt. Uh, like there's a very communal sense to the like code is all about like we take care of each other you know if somebody is unable to take care of themselves someone will take care of them even when uh even when firepaw brought an enemy cat into the camp uh since she was injured and ill they assigned someone to care for her until she was well like it that was really cool to me that uh <laughs> Another thing that's kind of like with Artemis Fowl, where fairies are just also capitalists, <laughs> where you get out this other culture, and it's like, well, they would have no reason to have any sort of like uh, a system of meritocracy like that, because they're pretty much one big extended family of cats. So they, you know, live together in this small space, and they all do their part to try to help each other all live comfortably, which I liked that. That made me happy. <laughs> yeah, there aren't really cats trying to, um, trying to like, take advantage of each other out here they're all like working together except for the obvious it's villains tiger <laughs> yeah. claw yeah <laughs> the one who constantly is murdering people to try to rise to the top but yeah for the most part they're all happy to do what they can when they can to help each other it's really neat okay so this is from uh chapter 12 broken star yowled again we all know that the hard time of leaf bear and late new leaf have left us with little prey in our hunting grounds, but we also know that Wind Clan, River Clan, and Thunder Clan lost many kits in the freezing weather that came so late this season. Shadow Clan did not lose kits. We are hardened to the cold north wind. Our kits are stronger than yours from the moment they are born, and so we find ourselves with many mouths to feed and too little prey to feed them. The crowd, still silent, listened anxiously. The needs of Shadow Clan are simple. In order to survive, we must increase our hunting territory. That is why I, I insist that you allow Shadow Clan warriors to hunt in your territories. 
what a great orator yeah <laughs> all of your children died but our children are big and strong so we need your food and, and i quote <laughs> like, should shadow clan be punished because our kits thrive yeah there it is <laughs> oh my gosh do you want us to watch our young starve you must share what you have with us like ooh. <laughs> And yeah, and it, I, instead of going about that by being like trying to be diplomatic about it, he's just like, hey, since a lot of your kids died and our kids are better than your kids, we need your food, okay? <laughs> How you know you're a villain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are are we actually the villains? <laughs> are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah, I was half tempted to get into some more like comparison with Artemis Fowl 2, but I don't want to go there because we didn't cover Artemis Fowl 2. <laughs> but like, they have so much of a better like revolt in this. Oh, it, not only that, but the moment-to-moment action scenes are yes. actually like <laughs> legible here. Yeah, the action is very well written in these books. Like, it, It's very easy to tell what's going on. It's very tense and exciting. Like, I actually found myself a couple of times while reading this feeling very like nervous for the characters and tense. Because, like, my, my comparison to Game of Thrones was not terribly flippant at the beginning of the episode. Like, your favorite characters can just get killed. Oh, like, yeah. they, they build up they build up this, like, budding romance between Firepaw and Shadowleaf where he's got this, like, little crush on her and always wants to go see her and thinks she's so pretty. And then, like, all of a sudden it's just, and she was super dead. Her lifeless eyes gazed up. And it's like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> Yeah, and, like, Greypaw's mentor Lionheart dies, and he's real morose about that for a while. Like, there's real stakes in this book, which was a thing that, like, kind of bothered me about some of the stuff in the Artemis Fowl books that we had read, uh, including the first one, was that, like, uh, people get hurt a lot, but there's no sense that they're in any real danger. Like, they're going to be okay. But uh, in this book, like, if somebody was in a fight, there was about a 50-50 chance that they were going to come out of it alive or dead. I mean, I'm I'm not going to go and, like, spoil everything right now, but some of the pretty major characters, like, die by the end of the series. Oh, yeah, I believe it. Well, they make they make a big uh, talk about one of the cool lore things is that uh, when leaders are chosen uh, and, like, are they chosen by StarClan or did they just get, like, approved by StarClan? They are approved by StarClan. Leaders usually become leaders because they were the pro- they were the previous leader's deputy. But when they kind of ascend to the clan leader status and get star at the end of their name, they are given the gift of nine lives, which was kind of a fun little play with the you know that myth that cats have nine lives. No, not all cats, just the leaders. <laughs> uh, but they kind of make a big show in this one about how Blue Star loses one of her lives. Uh, on the way back from the Moonstone, uh, it's heavily implied that Tiger Claw does it, although that's left up to the reader to decide. I'm sure that he did it. They get in a big fight with a bunch of rats, and she takes some wounds, but there was a suspiciously like serious wound to the back of her neck. Tiger Claw kills three other pretty high up cats in this book. He kills uh, Red Tail. He kills Lion Paw or a uh, Lion Heart. Lion Lion Heart. Yeah. Lion Heart, and he <laughs> kills Blue Star. And like at that moment, she uh, he kind of makes a big deal out of asking her how many lives she has <laughs> left, which is so suspicious. I think that's where I wrote uh, Tiger Claw is definitely a bastard in my notes. <laughs> 
because <laughs> he he uh they get in this tussle with a bunch of wild rats that they have to fight off and then she loses a life and comes back and he immediately is at her side like hey how many lives do you have left huh uh and she tells everybody that it's four but she confides in fireball that she only has two left so like I, yeah i wouldn't be surprised if she loses those over the course of the next couple books like these books are brutal speaking of tiger claw the most major side story is that tiger claw is very much an abuser and uh mm. ravenpaw is his victim and You're the, right. the book is about uh the book can definitely be read as like um as the major story being uh fire firepaw learning this and then helping uh ravenpaw i did not pick up on that like interpretation but you're super right because uh tiger claw is constantly putting down ravenpaw Mm-hmm. And like uh, blaming him for things, and like uh, not praising him when he does well, and like Ravenpaw is really nervous around Tigerclaw, and Tigerclaw is constantly like glaring at him and like trying to put fear into him so that he won't tell what he knows. Like, yeah, you're right. When um, when Tigerclaw has Firepaw, Graypaw, and Ravenpaw go off to do their hunting challenge he sends ravenpaw off to uh a place called the snake rocks where oh, all yeah. of the snakes live yeah and ravenpaw kills a snake yeah. and Tigerclaw is like <laughs> super unimpressed with him as if he expected him not to come back and he keeps doing that he sends him on uh, late in the book he sends him on a mission alone to hunt in shadow clan territory under the pretense that they need more food oh right got to be done yeah yeah and uh, uh ravenpaw comes back and firepaw's like you can't keep doing that like what if you don't come back alive yeah like man I didn't pick up on that, but that that makes me like Ravenpaw even more, which I liked him a lot already. Yeah, the reason why the other cats don't pick up on how evil Tigerclaw is, is that most of the evil stuff that he does is done super surreptitiously. He's very much a manipulator, you're right. Not even just to not even just to uh Ravenpaw, but he like gaslights a lot of other people. Yeah. Where like he he tells them like super obvious uh, lies about things that they all kind of uh, accept because they trust him. Uh, and really, the only people who catch on are Firepaw and Ravenpaw because they know better than to trust him. But yeah, it's interesting to see like the other characters listening to him and like uh, believing him and speaking well of him, and, uh, up to even Blue Star, because he puts on that face of like trustworthiness and a brave warrior to them, and then like behind their backs is doing all this really sneaky stuff. Yeah, and and even though. Some of the other ThunderClan cats are characterized as being antagonistic towards Firepaw. Only mm-hmm. Tigerclaw is really characterized as being evil. Um, and it's interesting to me that the reason why he's characterized as being evil is because he has ambitions of, like, unearned power. Yeah, you're right. Like, he wants to cheat his way up the chain more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's so interesting. And like, that's that's just a thing that I noticed throughout the book is that like, these characters are so much more complexly drawn than I expected. I thought that like, the cats were going to be kind of cartoonish, but not only are the main characters very deeply sketched out, but the, a lot of the side characters get that treatment too, where like, they have pretty complicated motivations and, you know, interactions with each other.
you wouldn't expect a kid's book to get into like political intrigue and like abuser tactics and thought-provoking and uh kind of adult themes as an adult you definitely wouldn't expect kids books to do that but i think that we're probably gonna find that the opposite is true we just didn't pick up on it as kids or even like we picked up on it as kids, but it didn't stand out to us, I think. Because like a lot of the books that I read as a kid definitely shaped the way that I thought about things. But I think that it wasn't so like, it wasn't as clear to me why, I think. Or maybe we just had different political and social views as kids too. And so that oh, kind of yeah. prevented it from sticking with us. <laughs> yeah, true. But like, yeah. Do you want to segue into like uh, your memories of this series as a kid? Because you were a Warriors kid. Yeah. Um. This was like one of my favorite series as a kid because of um because of the action and the lore in it. Um. I wasn't as huge of a fan as the other Warriors kind of mini series, but this the first six books and the follow up book are uh some of my favorite books from when i was a kid um i remember that these stories were uh these may have been my first stories that dealt heavily with like political intrigue um which becomes pretty pretty important in later books uh as they kind of become like spies and it's pretty cool that's awesome yeah i really wish that i had like picked up these books because i definitely knew they existed like you know everybody knew a warrior's kid same as like everybody knows somebody who read you know goosebumps somebody who was super into animorphs like you know there were these book series that were like monumental to the kids that were into them like if you were into them you were deep into them and like warriors was definitely one of those but for some reason it didn't really come across my radar Uh, i was deep into redwall for a while i was deep into artemis fowl for a while but like warriors never uh never hooked me which is a shame now because reading this like i would have loved this as a kid oh my goodness yeah if you want to get deep into a kid series you can get deep into warriors as we mentioned earlier there's like 58 books right now and they're still going yep (laughs) yeah it's incredible what age of kid and what like maturity level would you recommend um, that like a young person reading this should be at before starting the series? Just from oh, like yeah. the 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 first impression that you have of it now. Wow, I mean, like obviously every kid is going to be different, like how into reading they are and how early they got into reading, and like what sort of things that they're like kind of prepared to wrestle with, but. Personally, I think you could probably read these fairly young. There's some complicated, like, keeping track of names and political stuff where, like, I'd kind of lean more towards, like, maybe 11 or 12. But, like, definitely, like, preteen, you could get into these and really enjoy them. Yeah, I feel like um, as long as you're a kid that can handle some, like, kind of brutal violence <laughs> in your books it's n- it's not yeah. too graphic but the violence here is definitely like scary violence yes it's less like graphic and gory than like that troll scene in artemis fowl but there's a lot more of it and it's definitely like weighty like when things die they die it's tense and dark yes um yeah so as long as a kid could handle that as long as they're at that point i think that they could get most of what the book is about 
I think that someone would have to be at a more mature level to realize that, like, oh, this is a book that's kind of about abuse and kind of about the ways that we build our societies. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that those are, um, like, overwhelming themes in this book, but they're, it's not like they're, they're not present. They're definitely here. Yeah, definitely. And and themes about how, like, the things that you value as a society sort of color the way that you treat other people. Yeah. And, like, even uh, they color the thinking of the people who then grow up in your society, like, generation to generation. Yep. I I definitely would, like, recommend this to anybody who's like, my kid reads everything I give them way too fast. What can I give them to read (laughs) that, like, will keep them busy for a while? Like, you could do way, way worse than this. There's 50, 56, 58 books to read. Yeah, and not and even like, counting, like, all of the supplemental books. There's still, like, 36 main series books. Yeah, and, like, they're interesting and they're thoughtful and they'll actually, like, give you some stuff to come away from thinking about instead of just being, like, kind of uh, a quick, uh, light read. Yeah, and the main characters have super good qualities about them, too. They're they're people that it it would be cool for kids to look up to yeah absolutely like you know the like we said the main character in this book is somebody who one of his defining attributes is that he uh, tends more toward uh mercy and trust and kindness towards other cats uh which is really neat yeah the the fact that uh that he's willing to constantly re-examine his own situation in this book and wonder like if he's on the right side of things is cool Mm-hmm. yeah okay you know, this very good <laughs> yeah i i think that kind of concludes our discussion about warriors into the wild um i really liked this one <laughs> i really yeah, really heck, really like this gonna, one i was gonna say it like as a final note if you're like 26 like me and you think this sounds interesting just read it dude like people might look at you funny while you're just sitting on the bus reading warriors into the wild but like it's very good and you might enjoy it. I had a really good time reading this book. It won't take you more than like a few days to read this. Even if you're a slow reader, these books are go by super fast. I could probably read this book in one sitting of about three hours. But that's because you're a freak. (laughs) I mean, I'm a fast reader, but I'm just trying to illustrate. Okay. You gotta be so mean tonight, Pelts. What's your deal? Okay, but night did, I, did I even say did I even say my real name at any point no, in this recording? I did. Though. Hi, I'm Timothy Newton. I swear <laughs> I'm not a cat. <laughs> but maybe I'll become one if I read enough of these books. We shall see. <laughs> we shall indeed. Yeah, Timmy, Timmy, and I. I'm going to call you Timmy. Uh, Tim and I have kind of been tossing around the idea of having a separate podcast that is all about these books and while we probably won't do that right away uh keep your eyes and ears posted yeah as our schedules clear up a little bit maybe as summer comes around because like when elliot was texting me about that originally while we were like brainstorming page returners i thought it was mostly a joke like oh yeah haha there's enough warrior cats books we could do a podcast just about warrior cats books but i will say he sent me the first six the first like whole arc so that i would have it uh and even though we aren't going to cover the rest of them yet i'm going to read them immediately (laughs) yeah i'm I'm probably going to read all of these 
pretty soon as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these books rule. <laughs> uh, do we have an idea of what we're going to talk about next time? Do we want to tease that or just let leave people uh, wondering? I think I know what's next, but I want to make sure. Okay, I think I do too, but I don't want to make sure because I'm okay. afraid. <laughs> next time, uh, <laughs> next time we will be talking about Aragon by Christopher Paolini. Oh uh, yeah, buddy, that's what I thought. If you want to talk about a. a controversial kids series there's your <laughs> there's your series <laughs> i am kind of excited for that though because i'm gonna have a lot more to say about like my relationship to the book than the book itself but i think that'll be fun <laughs> yeah this book um you know what i will save that for next time i will talk about my A-G-G. my childhood my aragon filled childhood <laughs> next time <laughs> Yeah, I will say, like, on this one, we talked a lot about the book, but didn't have a lot of memories to share, because I was new to it. But on on our next episode about Aragon, we're going to get into some childhood memories, because, like, that book was fundamental. (laughs) Yep. Okay, well, yeah, thank you for joining us for uh, this episode of Page Returners. Uh, We will be back in about two weeks, so this if this episode goes up on March 10th, the next episode should be up on March 24th. Yes, we are going to aim to not have scheduling snags anymore. We're going to do our best. Yeah, can't always account for those things, but uh, we will oh, do our best. <laughs> uh, bef- before we sign off, uh, we have a Facebook page now. We do. Uh, yep, Facebook at Page Returners, and we are also on Twitter at Page Returners, so feel free to uh, send us comments and questions and recommendations for books that you loved as a kid. Uh, we also have uh, pagereturners at gmail.com, where you can send us the same sort of things, any correspondence that you want. Yeah, if you have any Warriors fan fiction, please send it to us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Please tweet us some Warriors fan fiction. I like will read it. Long form tweets. <laughs> tweet tweet one out of 254. <laughs> yeah, please send me a thread that is just a Warriors fanfic. You'll be my best friend. <laughs> you won't be mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, until next time, I've been Night Pelt. And I have not. <laughs> and that's a pretty accurate summary of what's going on here (laughs) yeah see you next time (laughs) yep i feel like that went well